For the past 25 years, Bordeaux Index has been relentless in our focus on changing the fine wine market for collectors and investors. Today, we are the largest seller of fine wine and spirits globally. Bordeaux Index. Join us and visit BordeauxIndex.com. Hello and welcome to Table Talk, the Spectator's food and drink podcast. I'm Olivia Potts. And I'm Lara Prendergast. And today we are delighted to be joined by Eleanor Stiefel. Ellie is a features writer and columnist for the Daily Telegraph, where she writes the regular recipe column, The Art of Friday Night Dinner. Her first cookbook shares its name with the column and celebrates every kind of Friday night feast, from gathering with friends to solo dinners, and it's published on the 30th of March. Ellie, welcome to Table Talk. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Ellie, as listeners know, we always start this podcast in the same place. We like to ask our guests, what is your earliest memory of food? I think... It's tricky with memories, isn't it? Because I don't know if I'm remembering a real memory or if I've just seen a picture of it. But I think I remember being on my grandma's hip at, I think, possibly my third birthday party or something like that. And she was holding a tray of butterfly cakes, which is what she always made for birthdays and any sort of party, always with a glass of cherry in the middle, essential. I think I remember that, but I don't know if I've just seen pictures of it. But I said butterfly cakes definitely feature highly in my kind of childhood memories. And yeah, other than that, I think it's just kind of remembering sort of being upstairs, pretending to do homework with kind of the smell of dinner wafting up the stairs and just not being able to think about anything other than the fact that I was absolutely starving and wanted tea and being able to kind of tell from the smell coming up the stairs what stage tea might be at and so thinking right I've probably got like five minutes before I can go downstairs and eat something yeah I think that's probably the earliest ones and what were meal times like in your household then what 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 would be downstairs when you got down for tea often pasta yeah often my mum's tomato sauce which is is in the book and which Friends who I was friends with at, at school and, you know, even at sort of like five years old still talk about now as um, Penny's pasta sauce. That was a, a big one for kind of like a, a school day tea. Probably like shepherd's pie, sausages, just the, the usual really. But yeah, meal times were definitely, during the week, it was kind of me, my brother and my sister, my mum. And then at the weekend, it was all five of us. And both my parents are brilliant cooks, so... Dad often kind of did more of the cooking at the weekends. And then kind of as we got older, we all piled into. And now my little brother is the best cook in the family. He's an actual chef. So he's he's sort of taken the mantle as the best cook. But yeah, mealtimes these days are just kind of basically quite uh, chaotic in the kitchen because you've got lots of people with lots of opinions sort of weighing in on what you should be doing with that onion. Um, and everyone thinks they know best. <laughs> And what about school food, Ellie? What What are your memories of, of school food? School food, fish and chips on a Friday. I remember that being a big thing. And uh, and that weird, like, school sort of square cake with either a pink custard or a chocolate custard and some sort of sprinkle on the top. And I remember there was there was always a day every couple of weeks where they would do these, like, extremely hard, supposedly poached pears with chocolate custard and I would get it but only because I wanted the custard not the pear <laughs> and <laughs> yeah so at school school dinners I remember quite liking school dinners actually um 
And then like as I got older and sort of stopped having school dinners and started bringing food in, just uh, I just remember sort of always having things for, for my lunch that were a bit weird compared to what other people had. So everyone else was having sort of white bread sandwiches and a bag of crisps and I would often have like the leftovers of, of whatever we'd had for dinner the night before and felt sort of slightly embarrassed of it kind of because it wasn't as sort of I don't know just kind of normal and standard as everyone else's lunches. And were you a good eater when you were younger or were you fussy? I think I was a good eater yeah I think I was definitely one of those kids that liked strong flavours so I liked, you know, olives and like quite strong cheese and that sort of thing. There's a very funny sort of home video. My great aunt and uncle were always the kind of the keepers of the family home videos and we quite often go back and watch them. They're often of barbecues at my grandparents' house and there's quite a funny one where I'm sort of off camera for most of it during this lunch, but you can just hear me sort of either asking for things or refusing things. So at one point, someone offers me some salad and I'm just like, I don't like salad. <laughs> just somewhere off off screen. And then a bit later can be heard asking for a sausage. And I think I'd still now rather have a sausage than a salad. So haven't changed much. <laughs> <laughs> and when was the moment that you realised that you wanted to perhaps have a career in food and, and, and in writing recipes? Well, I think it happened quite late. I think I sort of always wanted a career in journalism from quite young. And my sort of job that I do every day isn't really anything to do with food at all. I mean, I do write about food relatively often, but as a feature writer, it, it's such a lucky job because you just get to write about such a broad range of things from kind of quite hard, newsy things to things like food and sort of more kind of lifestyle topics. So I think I'd always known that I sort of enjoy, I like, like the idea of writing about food because I loved reading about food so much and always kind of went to bed with a recipe book and and had this idea that I might might like to write more about food. But I think I started kind of bringing food more into my working life when I started a supper club with a couple of friends. Uh, and that was about five years ago now. And um, we would interview people in between. We'd get sort of three speakers and we'd interview them in between each course. And I would do the cooking. And my friend Hannah, who's also a journalist, would interview the speakers. And then Amy would run the bar and do all the front of house stuff. And I think that was kind of my first experience of like, cooking for more people than just my friends and we ended up cooking for like 50 women in often in shops and in lots of different kinds of places and just absolutely loved that and then yeah around that time was asked at work to do a a sort of a daily dinner column for this newsletter that was being set up and that just it just felt like the luckiest thing ever and so I had this kind of mad six months where I would every Sunday and evenings and early mornings be testing like five recipes for the next week's columns and and sort of learning as I went how to how to write recipes and and yeah and that was great and that was how that was what the Art of Night Dinner was kind of born from. Ellie you mentioned just uh, reading various different recipes and writers what sort of writers do you like reading on food? Um I mean, I'm sure everyone says this, but Diana Henry just has to be the absolute queen of of food writing. She's just got, I just think she's so talented. She's got the most amazing way of writing about food. It's so kind of evocative, but also doesn't waste any words at all. It's not kind of, 
it's not sort of frilly and romantic, but yet it's also um, just so kind of descriptive and just makes you want to go to that place where she first ate that thing or to spend an afternoon, you know, making this relish or these pickles that she is writing about. So I think I, I absolutely adore her. I think actually my first sort of memory of really connecting with food writing was I was I did a year abroad when I was at university and I lived in Paris for a year and the Christmas of that um, year abroad I was given Nigel Slater's kitchen diaries the original kitchen diaries and that was the first time that I I really just sort of sat with a cookery book and, and read all the words and wasn't just connecting with the recipes but was connecting with the the way he was talking about them and the way he was writing about his life and his days and the seasons and because I was given it at Christmas I started reading if you have if anyone hasn't read it it's a it's a it's a diary and it starts in January and so I started reading January the 1st on January the 1st and just let it sort of take me through the year and I still now go back you know if it's April and I want to make something that feels like April I will go to the April section of that book and just kind of reconnect with April flavours and kind of what kinds of things it makes sense to cook at that time of year. And before you were connecting with the food writing itself, as you describe, when you were first starting to cook, what kind of recipes were you following or, or were you cooking with your parents? How how did you end up in the kitchen? I think we, we were just always in the kitchen all the time. I don't, I think we, um, cooking wasn't something that mum did or mum and dad did and that was a thing that they did and we just ate the food everyone was was always kind of chipping in and helping um I think probably because we were just we all had big appetites and we all just loved food so we wanted to get involved with the cooking of it as well so I remember when I was really young we had some our sort of closest family friends lived well they used to live opposite us and then they lived around the corner from us and we used to do these kind of dinner parties where we had these books I don't know if you've come across them called the easy peasy books I don't know if they're still in print actually but they were like kids cooking books and we used to sort of like create a menu from three things in those books and then we would like invite the parents for dinner I remember one time making like mini pizzas and then a sort of ham and mushroom pasta, which was probably absolutely horrible. And then <laughs> I think it was maybe meringues or like or some sort of sundae or something like that. And yeah, I mean, it was probably rubbish, but we just absolutely loved it and loved the whole thing of writing a menu and setting the table and and kind of that feeling of pride of sort of presenting something that you've made. And yeah, I think that's, that has stayed. I, that still excites me now, the idea of, I still constantly write menus for dinner parties that I'm not actually going to host, but I've just thought of three things that feel like they run really nicely together. So I just write them down. So it sounds like cooking is, is inextricably linked with, with hosting and, and sort of sharing that food with others for you. Yeah, I think that's probably, yeah, I think, I think that's right. I mean, I think I just always loved that thing of getting people over for dinner, getting people around the table. And I think I loved it before anyone else did. Like, I remember as a teenager sort of always being secretly quite glad if, like, some plans to try and go out fell through and everyone ended back at... ended up back at our house or ended up back at someone else's house and some dinner needed to be made. And just being... actually being quite glad that we were just at home and that someone needed to make some pasta or some fajitas or whatever it was we were going to eat. Yeah, I think, I, I think I've always just loved that, that thing of just making people dinner. 
Well, that leads us on to your new book, Ellie, which is called The Art of the Friday Night Dinner. What is your favourite Friday night dinner, if you had to pick one kind of affair? Oh, my God, if I had to pick one. I think, well, the, the, the book sort of takes you through different kinds of Friday nights. So I think, so it sort of takes you through from sort of a solo dinner to, like, you know, you and your best mate or a date night or um, a hosting kind of, you know, dinner party. So I think if we're talking dinner party, then... I think it's just a roast chicken you just can't go wrong, can you? And quite like that thing of a of a Friday chicken. So there's there's one in the book which is like a kind of a, a spiced roast chicken which in which you sort of you cook the the rice that goes with it in the kind of chicken juices and, and the chicken fat and lots of like spices and currants and uh, and that sort of thing and to serve that with like some nice seasoned natural yogurt and a really great kind of fresh like citrusy salad and yeah I love those kind of if you've got lots of people around I love one of those meals where there's lots of different parts to it and and where you don't really you know you don't you don't have a sort of a starter a main and a pudding you just kind of like kick everyone off with like some crisps and a drink and then have the main be quite a kind of sprawling thing that goes on for a couple of hours that has lots of different kind of aspects to it and people keep kind of diving back in so yeah maybe something like that or I've recently forced everyone to... I've got one of those little uni pizza ovens I got for Christmas a couple of years ago, and I recently forced everyone to sit outside on a Friday night and eat pizzas, and it was absolutely freezing, but they got on with it and just, you know, kept drinking it. It was fine, but um, but I love doing <laughs> that. I love the, the fact that, like, it forces you to just sit at the table for hours because it takes it takes ages to kind of turn out pizza after pizza after pizza and... Yeah, what I tend to do is kind of put like all the various different toppings and ingredients on the table and then as I'm starting to do the next pizza I just like take requests for what you want on the next one which can end up with some slightly random combinations but yeah I, 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 I love that thing of kind of a meal which which goes on a bit I suppose which isn't just kind of like a quick bowl or something but which kind of forces you to stay at the table and eat and chat. And have you had any dinner party disasters? It's always just that thing of 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 completely messing up your timings, isn't it? I've definitely, I've definitely tried to make, like, a slow-cooked pork thing that was meant to take three hours and definitely needed an extra, like, four hours and was tough as old boots. That's definitely happened to me a couple of times. And I don't think I've ever given anyone food poisoning yet, but it is always my worry. Anytime <laughs> I do, like, a paella or, like, anything which involves sort of seafood, I always panic that... I'm going to get a text the next day saying that everyone's really unwell. But it hasn't happened yet, touch wood. <laughs> you also write in the book about solo Friday nights, just enjoying time on your own with food as company. Tell us about your ideal solo Friday night. Ideal solo Friday night involves coming home, immediately getting into my pyjamas, my dressing gown or whatever. It's either making quite a strong cocktail, like something sort of slightly ridiculous that you wouldn't normally just make just for yourself, but actually sod it, I want a martini, so I'm going to have a martini or a Negroni or whatever. And you drink a martini the right way. Yes. It's important to say you drink a martini the correct way. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's, yeah, there are so many different ways to do a martini, aren't there? But I do think, yeah, an olive or a couple of olives and a bit of the brine is a nice way, isn't it? But yeah, and then it just has to be pasta. It's just like the absolute... You know, the the most comforting thing, isn't it, for that kind of, you know, just cradling a bowlful feeling. So it's probably carbonara, or maybe there's a recipe in the book for something that I've called Bloody Mary Rigatoni, 
which is basically like a pastoral vodka to that kind of really comforting kind of sweet tangy tomatoey but also slightly creamy it's also got some of the elements of a bloody mary in it as well so it's got some Worcestershire sauce and it's got some celery seeds and some hot sauce and yeah I, I love I love that I love that kind of like tangy tomatoey but you wouldn't necessarily make it on a Tuesday because it's slightly more involved slightly more special Friday pasta yeah and then it's probably a million three watch of the West Wing which I'm just perennially <laughs> obsessed with um and just makes me feel so calm just like hearing even just the theme tune just just kind of like makes my blood pressure lower so yeah it's probably that and then probably some ice cream or just that lint dark chocolate with a touch of sea salt it's just like the best thing ever isn't it and yeah or maybe it the is. tonys with the, the the tonys with the pretzels in i could definitely eat a whole bar of that and Annie, when there, are, when there are more of you joining for dinner, how, how do you go about curating a guest list for a dinner party? I think, um, I think it's just about getting people together who all really like chatting, I think. I think it's just people who just really like enjoy the thing of sitting around a table and spending the evening with a bunch of like chatty, funny people. I'm not sure I'm someone who particularly curates a guest list. I think I just kind of have my sort of various different groups of friends and when it's been too long since we've seen each other my suggestion is always why don't you come over for dinner and I'll cook something so uh, yeah I think it's just that really but I I think like the sort of the few times when I have done that thing of kind of blending friendship groups I always feel a bit like nervous about it as I'm sure maybe lots of people do first but then it's always just brilliant and it's just always the best feeling isn't it to kind of have people in a room from like different parts of your life who are getting on and are enjoying each other and food is just a really good excuse to do that isn't it apart from the the obvious numbers what's the difference for you between uh cooking for a for a friday night group of friends and cooking for a supper club oh well i mean cooking for a supper club is just always something that I basically regret doing until the moment that the first <laughs> dish goes out and then I'm like oh I love this this is brilliant but before that the sort of week leading up to it I'm like well why am I doing this this is ridiculous this is too much and um, this is too stressful and what if everyone hates it and and then when you actually have people in the room you know laughing and and chatting and enjoying the food is just the best feeling ever so I think it's just the pressure I think like I know lots of people do find dinner parties and hosting stressful I'm lucky that I don't it's just it's the thing that gives me so much joy so I don't find it particularly stressful kind of having six to eight people around for dinner whereas with with supper clubs it's just that pressure of kind of particularly if someone's paid I don't know 40 quid or whatever to be there you just feel you don't want to let everyone down I think so yeah I think it's just the pressure and you when you've been cooking for these supper clubs, you have had your family in the kitchen with you. Is that right? Yes, I have. Yeah. How How is that? Because, I, I, I mean, I've done supper clubs. I've cooked for friends. I love my family. The thought of having them in the kitchen with me is nightmare. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're, I'm very lucky. They're very good. I think, um, yeah, I, it's just something that we're used to. We're just we're actually just quite used to all being in the kitchen together and 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 it's sort of I can just like trust them and I can trust that if I'm getting stressed or worried or whatever that they're not gonna you know find me a nightmare they're just gonna sort of I don't know just get on with whatever needs doing and I just think it's really fun I mean we haven't done it for a little while actually but 
the last time we did it, it was just such a joy to be kind of with them in the kitchen and turning out all this food and looking around and being like, oh, that's my brother, that's my sister, that's my mum, that's my dad. That's just, yeah, it's really special. And Ellie, what what are some some of the things that you keep in your store cupboard that are kind of the most versatile ingredients that you use? Oh, I think for me it's all about condiments. So it's all about sort of chilli sauces and crispy chilli. I mean, I put crispy chilli on literally everything. Sriracha. I love gochujang, that sort of... Um, sort of salty, savoury miso combination with the chilli. I think that just makes so many things taste amazing. And then it, just tinned tomatoes. Those, if I if I am feeling flushed, then the mutty, the mutty tinned tomatoes are just like the best thing. So much better than than your average tinned tomatoes. So then tomato puree, and then just kind of lots of pulses, lots of chickpeas and and beans and things to make sort of stocks and soups better and kind of flesh them out. And I feel quite panicky if I realise we haven't got any pasta in stock and I'd sort of have to immediately go and do something about that because, yeah, I feel like if you've got pasta in, then you can kind of, you can make any sort of meal. And garlic, I guess garlic is a big one as well, isn't it? I mean, I don't think there are many things I don't put garlic in. But yeah, and and uh, and ketchup actually as well. I just, I am a ketchup person. Yeah, slightly embarrassing me. There's <laughs> nothing wrong about that. <laughs> Do you have a sweet tooth? I have a much more savoury tooth than sweet tooth, but I also think I'm kidding myself if I say I don't have a sweet tooth because I definitely, I do love a pud and I do love chocolate, but I, I also would rather have cheese than pudding if I were to have to choose between the two. But I do, I do love pudding. I think I like quite kind of childish puddings. Like I love an ice cream sundae or like a steamed pud or... Yeah, something like that. Like, yeah, I, I think, I, I think an ice cream sundae you just can't that you can't get much better than that. It's just something so, so kind of exciting about it, and sort of connects to that sort of childish glee feeling that you get with puddings. I think if you're going to have a pudding, you may as well really sort of know about it. I think there are so many in these sort of like small plates restaurants these days. There are a lot of kind of very subtle kind of a blob of this a blob of that sort of puddings or like a little pot of something and I kind of think if you're gonna have pudding you may as well have a massive sundae. And Ellie to finish we we like to ask our guests what their desert island meal sort of it's also kind of last meal would be so what, what would yours be? Yeah I mean I absolutely love this question and ask this of everyone in my life multiple times <laughs> they're all so fed up of me asking this question <laughs> Um, and also quite often ask it on a first date, which I think it's quite revealing because mm. I'm quite judgmental about people's What's answers. What's a red flag? Well, I think like, I think anyone who says anything really, really super fancy, like, you know, truffle covered this and lobster that. And yeah, I don't know. I sl- I'm slightly judgmental about going for anything too fancy because I just think when it comes to it, your last meal, your desert island meal, whatever, it just should be kind of what you actually genuinely want in your in those moments when you're just like oh I'm just craving a whatever so anyway mm. but I, so I think mine would be I've, I've already talked about it a bit but my my starter would be my mum's tomato sauce and very much I mean it's in the book but I would need her to make it because she does she makes it better than me with spaghetti because it's just so kind of comforting and evocative of of kind of childhood and it's still the thing that I make every time I, um, you know, come home from holiday or 
first go to a new home or, you know, if a friend has a baby, I'll make them a batch of it or whatever. So, yeah, so that I had that for my starter. And then for my main, uh, it changes. Sometimes I think it's roast chicken, but it's kind of a summery roast chicken with, like, really good chips or wedges or something like that and lots of aioli and then just, like, a really, really good green salad with lots of kind of finely chopped shallot in it and a very kind of mustardy dressing. So I think it's probably that, but then sometimes I think it would be like a sort of a seafoody platter, like lots of prawns and clams and and oysters and crab and just loads of bread, loads of really good bread and butter. And then my dessert would be ice cream and I think it would be apricot sorbet and just really good vanilla ice cream and then loads of whipped cream on top. Maybe some sort of crunchy something, but maybe even just the like the combination of the whipped cream and the ice cream and the sorbet, which I just I could honestly eat that every day. It's just the best thing. And would you have a drink alongside it? I would. I think I would probably start with a cocktail, pro- probably a martini. And then I think I'd probably have just actually some really nice, really pale rosé with my main just very, very cold, very, very pale. And then I think I'd probably end with a Negroni. <laughs> yeah, go out with a bang. Well, Ellie, thank you very much for joining Table Talk. And Ellie's new book, The Art of Friday Night Dinner, is available on the 30th of March.